hello, and welcome to Things That Make You Go Woo. I'm your host, Emily Barnard, also known as Emily and Her Stars. I'm a medium, an astrologist, an Akashic Records reader, an artist, and an all-around just silly and curious gal. In this podcast, I'll be sharing the things and people I find fascinating, funny, and inspirational. Things that I hope will certainly make you go woo, too. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to today's episode. I have been fighting a little bit of a head cold for this last weekend, so if my voice sounds a tiny bit off this episode, uh, that's why. I feel the best I've felt today uh, in a few days, but my voice has kind of taken a hit, so bear with me. It sounds a little raspier than usual. Uh, But today I wanted to cover the history of something that I think generally gets misunderstood. You know, this is my favorite area of conversation. And today we're going to dive into fruitcake. Now I did a little poll on my Instagram and asked my listeners if you would rather me dive into an episode with history or an episode about all of the things I've been through this year. And resoundingly, everyone voted for a wonderful history episode. So without further ado, I'm presenting a fruitcake, the history of the misunderstood item. (laughs) So every year at Christmas, fruitcake shows up, right? People bring fruitcake as gifts, they make jokes about it. And apparently there's like two or three people on the planet who even eat it. (laughs) Two friends in Iowa have been exchanging the same fruitcake since the late 1950s. And an even older fruitcake is the one left behind in Antarctica by the explorer Robert Falcon Scott in 1910. However, the record for the oldest known fruitcake, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, goes to one fruitcake in a food museum in Switzerland. It's a 4,176-year-old cake that was found in Egypt. But love it or hate it, fruitcake never really goes away. And you might even need to be nutty as a fruitcake to eat some. So what is the deal with the seasonal dessert? For starters, let's all get on the same page about what a fruitcake is, even. (laughs) It's not really just a cake with some fruit inside. The fruit and nuts for a fruitcake have to be dried or soaked in sugar. All of that is loaded up into a very dense and heavy cake batter that is unbaked. Because of the sugar, fruitcake doesn't go bad for a long time. Now, some recipes call for alcohol in the cake or for it to be actually stored inside an alcohol-soaked cloth. Alcohol helps get rid of bacteria, which is what causes food to go bad. So fruitcakes can last a really, really long time. Some people will make a fruitcake every year that's meant to be eaten the following year. There are even fruitcakes that are still okay to eat after being kept for 25, 35, 40 years. And one family has held on to a fruitcake for over 130 years. It's a family heirloom, so no one is looking to eat it. And it's also hardened into something that resembles a rock. But for the fruitcakes that haven't lasted that long, where did they originate? Of course, we have to look no farther than ancient Egypt, where people would leave them inside the tombs of the departed. The most popular theory for this unusual practice is that the cakes were served as sustenance for the afterlife. But the ancient Romans are really the ones who did the most work with the fruitcake. A recipe from 2000 years ago calls for pomegranate seeds, 
pine nuts, and raisins mixed into a cake made out of a barley mash and then soaked in a honeyed wine. It was shaped into a cake called a satura, and satura basically means a medley, if you will, of foods. It was easy to carry around and lasted for a really long time without going bad, so Roman soldiers brought it into the battlefields as a snack, sort of the earliest known energy bar, if you will. (laughs) As the centuries went on, the ingredients in fruitcake changed with the times. During Shakespearean times, it was made up of meat, wine, sherry, fruit juices, honey, and some preserved fruits. After a while, though, the meat thankfully was eliminated and more fruit was added in its place. It became known as plum pudding as it was basically a plum cake. But something I want to note here, of course, we all know meat doesn't keep well unless it's salted. And I cannot imagine a salted fruitcake would be any good. In fact, this whole conversation is kind of making me a little queasy. As dried fruits became more widely available and fruited breads entered the Western European cuisine, more variations on the fruitcake started springing up. For example, Italy's dense, sweet and spicy panforte, which literally translates to strong bread, dates back to about the 13th century in Siena. And panettone, which is a uniquely textured hearth cake with dried and candied fruits, is also deeply rooted in Italian history. Now, German Stolen, which is a tapered loaf coated with melted butter and powdered sugar that's much more bread-like and a little bit lighter in consistency, has been a Dresden delicacy since the 1400s and even has its own festival. And last but not least, let's not forget about black cake from the Caribbean islands. This boozy descendant of Britain's plum pudding is where the fruit is soaked in rum for months or even as long as a year. Delicious. (laughs) Now, the tradition of making fruitcakes for special occasions, such as weddings and holidays, gained popularity in the 18th and 19th century due to the cost of the materials. It was so expensive for sugar before then. It was considered sort of a grand indulgence. You would have to be nuttier than a fruitcake to spend that kind of money making one. (laughs) So how did the fruitcake get tied to Christmas? Well, During the Crusades, the knights took a page from the ancient Romans book and used fruitcake as a nourishment bar during the war. The six-month trek from England to the Holy Land meant that the Crusaders needed something that would last a long time. And with power bars not yet around, fruitcake was a great option. They would bake them with stale bread, honey, spices, dried fruit, and mead as a solution. The blend eventually hardened and became naturally resistant to rotting. In the 1400s, fruitcakes had a slight downgrade in the status as the Catholic Church prohibited bakers from using butter or sugar in cakes during Advent. It was considered a time for fasting. Butter and sugar were far too extravagant and the resulting butterless sugarless cake called stolen was a dry and less tasty creation made from flour, oil, yeast, and water. But this version of fruitcake lacked pretty much everything, including flavor. And in medieval Saxony, what were you going to do? You couldn't survive like this. (laughs) So Prince Elector Ernst and his brother, Duke Albrecht, decided they just couldn't take it anymore. They had to have tastier baked goods. What did they do? They wrote to the Pope. It took them five popes to have their pleas answered. 
The first letter went off to Pope Nicholas V, where Ernst and Albrecht pled for them to lift the ban. Oil in Saxon was expensive and hard to come by, and that made eating cakes even bigger burden. Finally, Pope Innocent VIII sent them a response known as the Butter Letter, which granted the use of butter for their baked goods without having to pay a fine, but only for their household. The Pope was clever to put a condition in this letter stating that others could use butter for cooking, but whenever butter was used, a donation had to be made to help with the cost of constructing the Freiburg Cathedral. Saxony, though, worked a way around this problem in the 16th century when the whole lot of them decided to become Protestant. <laughs> Since then, the fruitcake has evolved back into its decadent state. Wealthy families would distribute these cakes to carolers and the less fortunate during the holidays. This practice likely influenced the annual fruitcake gifting and regifting we experience today. During the 1600s, Boatloads of sugar from colonized lands and slaves would arrive in Europe, quickly turning sugar into a cheap commodity. People could now use sugar to preserve fruit well beyond the harvest season, paving the way for fruitcakes with new fruit combinations. Years before the American Revolution, the British colonists brought fruit cake to the New World. It became extremely popular in regions that lacked access to fresh fruit, we didn't always have a Sprouts and a Whole Foods right around the corner. <laughs> One notable fruitcake in this period is called the Muster Cake. It's a dense, alcohol-heavy food that colonial women made for the men who were mustered for military training by order of the British Parliament. The fruitcake's sinfully rich nature became its undoing in the early 1800s, when the European church outlawed it for being far too decadent. However, the holy leaders lifted the band by the end of the century. This was a triumph for Victorians who loved to eat fruitcake in the afternoon with their tea. The British love for fruitcake can really be traced to Queen Victoria, whose own wedding fruitcake was topped with a sugar figure of Britannia, and this really cemented the country's love for the dessert. In fact, Queen Victoria, when she married Prince Albert, waited a whole year to eat a slice of her fruitcake just to show her restraint. <laughs> Fun fact, Prince Charles and Diana had a fruitcake, and Kate and William also served fruitcake at their own ceremony. Now, it's got some pretty odd traditions, this fruitcake, and in England, it was customary for unmarried wedding guests to place a slice of fruitcake under their pillow at night so they could dream about the person they would eventually marry. The connection was that fruitcake was traditionally the kind of cake served at British weddings. Of course, I always love to daydream when I'm sleeping on cake. <laughs> Considering how wildly popular fruitcake was for so long, it's actually kind of weird to think that today it's the butt of a lot of jokes. Many believe this sort of thinking began with the late night talk show host, Johnny Carson. You may or may not know him. I grew up with him. <laughs> In the 1960s, during an episode of The Tonight Show, he joked, the worst Christmas gift is fruitcake. There's only one fruitcake in the entire world, and people just keep sending it to each other. It then became tradition for Carson to make fun of the stuff every single year around the holidays. But fruitcake was so popular. In fact, around 1913, the idea of mail-order fruitcake being shipped in tins started at the Collins Street Bakery in Corsicana, Texas, which is actually still one of the leading fruitcake producers today. 
It's a really popular way to buy and send fruitcake, and the bakery that helped started it ships it literally all over the world. In 1969, fruitcake took a ride to the moon. Pineapple fruitcake was brought on the Apollo 11 space mission, but it was actually never eaten by astronauts Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. And actually, you can still get a glimpse of that fruitcake. It's on display at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. Love it or hate it, fruitcake has been with us for centuries. It's a nutrient-rich, dense food that keeps well, allows you to eat fruit when it's out of season, and on a dark, cold night, could even help keep you alive. We've become spoiled with all of our ready-to-eat, out-of-season fruit. We shouldn't really be able to eat fresh strawberries in January, should we? But we do. We're constantly evolving and developing our science and understanding of the natural world around us. Doesn't that include some of our perception around nutrition? I wanted to add another footnote here about cinnamon, cloves, and even a little alcohol when it comes to woo-woo and witchy ways. Cinnamon is used to enhance spirituality, success, luck, and prosperity, and can also be used in healing and protection rituals and spells. It's basically a go-to for most spell work, making it a wonderful addition to your list. Many witches will wear cinnamon or hang it in their homes, especially around Yule, to attract love, money, and prosperity and protect their home and body. Furthermore, cinnamon has great health benefits and it's used in most herbal remedies to treat colds and coughs. I'm drinking cinnamon cold tea as I'm recording this. Cloves can be used to soothe nausea, vomiting, and even some gas as well as to help stimulate the digestive system. Furthermore, cloves are naturally antiseptic and a mild anesthetic, which makes it great for treating toothaches before you can get to the dentist after this sweet season. (laughs) Some early research even suggests that clove oil may repel mosquitoes for up to five hours. And Finally, a little booze-soaked fruit, usually I've heard, leads to fabulous dreams. (laughs) Happy Yule, happy solstice, and happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's fun episode. I will be back here shortly with energy for 2022, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Things That Make You Go Woo. You can help me out by leaving a positive rating and a review wherever you downloaded this episode. Be sure and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Emily and Her Stars. You can also reach out via email anytime, emilyandherstars at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Things That Make You Go Woo.